B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariasha. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope everyone is staying home and taking good care of themselves. On this episode, I'm joined by Israeli author and entrepreneur Irina Nevzlin. Her book, The Impact of Identity, The Power of Knowing Who You Are, was recently published and offers a new approach to living a more enjoyable, positive, and meaningful life in an era of too much information. Irina is currently the president of the Nadav Foundation, which was founded in 2003 by her father, Leonid Netzlin, in order to support initiatives that promote understanding of the concept of Jewish peoplehood, build collective Jewish identity, and forge lasting ties among Jews around the world. She was previously the foundation's CEO from 2008 to 2012. Irina also chairs the board of directors of the Museum of the Jewish People, at Beta Tfutsot in Tel Aviv, one of the world's leading Jewish museums. Irina, thank you for joining the program today. Dan, thank you for having me. Well, before we talk about the book, which is really very interesting, um, I want to talk about your story because so much of your personal story is woven in to, to the book in terms of your experience and how you can translate it into helping people forge their own identities. So I'd like to start with two very seminal moments in your life, one at age seven and one at age 13, and it's all related to roots. And on the cover of the book, there is a, a, a nice tree with some roots. So bring us back to those days and, and then up to today and the importance uh, that, that those two moments had on your life. Then thank you very, very much for asking. I don't know if there is a person who doesn't like to speak about their experience, right? And uh, this book, I just have to say one word for me. If it wasn't for the personal experience, there wouldn't be any book. I'm, I'm, in other words, I'm not, in a, you know, I'm not an academia person. I'm not a theoretician. And the reason that I wrote the book was that at some point of my life, about a year ago, I've just, I've realized that the experience that I have can help others, maybe. And so I decided to write a book. And the moments you're referring to are truly seminal. And I'll, I'll give a little bit of a context for people who are listening to us now. I was born in the Soviet Union. I was born in 78. And uh, the notion at that time about your ethnic roots was something that the Communist Party was trying to delete completely, effectively delete it. None of my parents or grandparents were able to speak the language that they, you know, for my grand-grandparents, it was Yiddish. For my grandparents, it was all, already only Russian. Nobody could study anything about your heritage or where you come from. What does it mean to be Jewish? How did we come to Russia? How did we come to Moscow? So we are, we are talking at the situation where everybody knows that there is a communist party and there is this ideology, but in terms of the ethnical heritage, there is nothing. There's just simply no... It was not allowed to be discussed even. There was no opportunity. So... That's the environment. So I grew up and my both parents are Jewish. My grandmother and my old grandparents are also Jewish. And that I'm the only one who doesn't know about it because the, the family is quite scared of talking to me about it because of the level of anti-Semitism around. And so at the age of seven, somebody in my neighborhood, which I consider it's not a very pleasant neighborhood. It's a very working uh, class neighborhood, very kind of difficult, tough one, but which I consider home. Somebody at the street calls me uh, the word that a lot of people will recognize, Zhidovka. 
which is a very anti-Semitic way of calling a Jew. And so that was the first time that somebody mentioned that I was different from others. Of course, it was a derogatory term. Of course, it was something that I felt, I didn't know what the word meant, but I understood that I, it was something that I didn't like. And so I came to have a conversation with my grandmother and she was a teacher at the same school that I was at this uh, time. And I've asked her, what did it mean? And her answer would be something that I think uh, influenced a lot my decision to write, about, to write the book and to write about the roots. She explained to me that we were Jewish, which meant from her point of view, two things. First, that we were different. And second, that we are not going to talk about it anytime soon. The, the fear of me discussing the fact that I'm Jewish was so, it was stronger than uh, leaving a child in the situation of complete loss of what does it mean. So that was the first time I found out that for some reason, somehow I was different than the environment. She also mentioned that there were only two Jewish people in our school, her and me. And so that, that's, that's how critical it was for her to explain that we have to be very careful talking about it. So that's the first time. And the second time, and it's funny, it will, it's also connected to my grandmother. At the age of 13, by the time the Soviet Union already fell, and the curtains fell, and a lot of people in the beginning of 90s uh, made Aliyah and moved to to United States also, many of my family friends. My grandmother decided to show me Israel. She actually decided to visit her friends, and um, she decided to take me with her. So the conversation that I had with my parents, you need to understand again the concept, uh, context, it was first time traveling abroad. It was first time going on the plane. It was first time many, many things at the age of 13. And so my mother was trying to prepare me for that uh, trip. And she was explaining to me the, the, that I will feel very, very uncomfortable because the, the smells on the street will be different. The language that people will speak will be different. Everything will be unclear and everything. And so I have to just make sure that I don't get too scared and too nervous that everything is so different. That's part of traveling abroad. The, the surprise that I had when I came to Israel the first time, and I remember uh, vividly the oranges on the way from Ben Gurion Airport to Rehovot, that's where we were staying with my grandmother's friends. Now, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a small detail that will explain it properly. I'm, a, I'm an only child in my family, so I'm used to living in my room with my parents. That's, that's as much as I know. And so I suddenly live with the family with, with three kids and a lot of grandkids in a small apartment in Rehovot. I'm supposed to feel very, very uncomfortable because it's very, very different. And it's the first time I'm starting to feel actually that I'm home. So this country that my mother explained to me will be so different, feels much more comfortable to, for me. And I come from Moscow, I come from a cold climate. Nothing in, in the world would have prepared me for, you know, for, for summer in Israel, right? But I feel at home. I feel at home and I feel everywhere at home and I can't understand this feeling. And it's a hard feeling because it's very liberating to suddenly feel at home, but you also come back to where you thought it was home. And then suddenly you understand that this was all, you know, it was not. So that was, I think those moments were very, if, if, if we have to define the moments which brought me to, do, do what I do every day in the museum and to writing a book and to everything that probably will be those moments. So roots really were at the, at the center 
of your own uh, search for identity. But uh, then there's another aspect uh, of your life that also contributes to the book. You, you go to school in Moscow to university. You then make your way to London where you work for a large strategic communications uh, organization and you become an immigrant. And then you had the, the immigrant experience on top of the whole issue of roots. So tell us about that and how that impacted uh, your, your journey uh, to the book. So you see, it's very interesting. You, you have, we have all the notion, the, the, the regular notion that if you are born a minority, which is how I was born, or especially in the anti-Semitic country, but in any country, if, if you are born a minority, and then, and or you're an immigrant, that means that you automatically are in a much more difficult position to what they call in the United States to make it there, right? So you're in, you're in lack of resources, you're in, and it's, it's, it's the reality, you're in lack of connections, you, you don't have the parents that went together with other parents to the same university, you don't have the privilege of having it, and it's on any level, really. I mean, you, don't have, you just don't have this network of people that could support you at the time that you, know, you have, need to find a job, or you need some advice or something. And so historically and traditionally, we look at the immigrants as somebody who are in a way being looked down a little bit and kind of in a situation where they have to work twice as hard to, to, to make it and to become the, the valuable members of society. Now, my experience of immigration taught me, and that's what I write about in the book, that in fact, in the current global world, immigrants and minorities have huge advantage because of this lack of external resources they've built the internal resources they've built this need to adapt to change they've built this resilience so what, what you mentioned is i moved to london in 2003 uh, from russia and i worked in the company and i was transferred to, to another office and so here i come my English is far from being British. Even then, my accent was American. No idea why, but it was never British. And I move, and I, I, I don't, and you have to understand, this is England, so the, the, nobody speaks so clearly that I would understand it in the first meeting. There is also an Irish and Scottish accent, and try to guess this, you know, what language are they talking to me? I don't know anyone. As my colleague says to me in the meeting, he asked me, which university did I go to where I'm the age? I'm at the age of 25. He asked me, which university did you go to? I say, Moscow State University. And that's where the conversation stops because if I don't answer Leeds, Cambridge, Oxford, or something that he's aware of, he doesn't know which box to put me in, right? <laughs> yes. And so, and so at the first week, and the, on Friday of the first week, when I started Monday, you know, proper American company, the discipline started, moved Sunday, started Monday. Friday, uh, come Friday evening, early um, afternoon, I will say, and somebody comes over to me and says, so um, do you want to come to our family for dinner on Friday? And uh, you need to understand that and, uh, for that person who is still my friend, my very good friend, John, who to understand and to recognize that I'm Jewish, it will be very hard. There is nothing that says on me, and luckily we're not in the world where you have yellow stars, right? So he, wouldn't, he, he would guess that. He would guess that I would need some for some company. And the only reason that he invited me to his home and he knew me for exactly three days at that moment was the fact that I was a, a young Jewish woman and he understood that his Jewish family could welcome me for Shabbat dinner now. 
a modern Orthodox family, fantastic people. And when you talk about the lack of resource of immigrants, you need to understand that actually, and especially for Jews, but not only for Jews, what you belong to is much bigger than the country. What you belong to is people. And there are people everywhere in the world that will feel the need, will feel the compassion, or feel something, and it's unexplainable, right? We don't know how to explain that, but the moment we know somebody is Jewish, you feel that connection. You feel it instantly. You belong to something. You belong together to something bigger than you are. So that's what he felt. And that's how it completely switched my experience from somebody who doesn't understand anything, where he, what, what am I supposed to do now, to somebody who actually have friends who are not only acquaintances, but actually people who are willing to open their home and help me in any situation. So I think for Jews, this is a very important notion to remember, that we belong to a very powerful group of people globally. So you mentioned language, and I think it's a, an important, uh, as you said, important part of the, the immigrant experience because you have to learn the new language. But in the book, you go beyond that when you talk about language. You, you say that learning another language uh, is important by itself in terms of forging one's identity. Right. So, so I took in the book what I did. I was trying to, to, to analyze what are the strengths, what kind of strengths come to you from, uh, from being connected to your roots. And I used immigrants, especially, mostly, and minorities as an example of how this works. And so I'll, I'll give you an example. This is something where you learn to, to adapt and you learn to be open-minded and you learn to accept the other culture, but you don't have to do it just because you decided you want to be more open-minded open or, you know, you decided to be a better person. I give you an example. I come to Israel and um, I come after Jewish school, which... I will not tell to the teacher of the school, I hope nobody listens, and my principal is a great guy and still alive, and I hope he doesn't listen, but our knowledge of Hebrew was zero after three years of Hebrew in school, right? And so I come to Israel, and uh, here I have a choice, right? I have a choice if I want to uh, be part of the society, I want to be part of the community, I want to work, I want to grow, I want to have networks of people, I want to have friends, everything, or I want to stay within the Russian uh, shtetl, that is very big in Israel. The Russian-speaking uh, population in Israel is about a million people. So you can create this situation where you don't really need other language. Now, the moment you start learning another language, you start learning another culture. The moment you start learning another culture, you start, start to understand that people are different and the culture is different. I'll give you a very small example. There is no translation to Russian language of the, uh, uh, of the phrase, take your time. Because in, the, in Russian, there is no opportunity to explain that you can have your time. There's only time. There's no your time. Okay? But so what I'm, I'm it's of course, a, you know, it's an anecdote. But what, what I'm trying to say is that once you start opening up to learning other people's language, it actually creates much more change in your brain and in your personality as a result than you were aware. There is a lot of studies done how this, uh, we, we talk about gray matter in the brain and how it should grow for us to develop. So gray matter in the brain becomes significantly bigger for people who study languages. Now, immigrants have to do that. There's no choice. If you want to develop, you want to, uh, you know, move up the ladder in the country, you'll have to do that because you can't really make it, as they say, without it. But I don't think in the global world, in the world that we live in, um, it's only for immigrants 
to be able to, you know, communicate globally and to understand other cultures is something that only immigrants need. So I think it's uh, one of the things, and it's, it, you ha Americans have hard time understanding that really, because when you have English and you have, and some have English and Spanish, you're covered in terms of ability to communicate, but you are not covered in terms of ability to accept and understand the different culture and, and, and as a result feel better and feel comfortable, more comfortable everywhere in the world. And it's also good advice, I think, for um, if I can segment uh, the <clears throat> the readership of the book, um, it's a it's a good lesson also for young people, even who who are not immigrants, but the importance of learning the language and travel because today so many young people travel. Uh, they're not traveling now because of our situation. Uh, we have before us with coronavirus, but they travel. And, and I think what you're saying about learning that other language helps you to learn about other people and in the process you know, widens your horizons, but also affects your identity. Well, I understand that somebody is different. What, what happens automatically, whether you like it or not, whether you're conscious of it or not, is everybody asks themselves the same question. What does it mean about me? What does it mean? What, what do I like? What I don't like? What, so it's any exposure to something other than you is educational, right? But exposing to yourself to other culture, building this uh, sense of confidence of communicating another language is what develops your identity. Well, that's, that's the micro. Now let's talk about the macro, because in the book, you talk about the various revolutions in life that have occurred in, in history. And you talk about the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution. Um, we, um, we now have the, um, the digital um, revolution, information and communications. We had the, the post-World War II um, revolution in a way, the, the post-war period where so many changes were taking place. These, this is on the macro level. And you talk about how people adapted to or had to adapt to these great changes in their lives and how that affected identity as well. So why don't you talk about that? So first I want to say the reason I mentioned all those revolutions in the book is to try to show the people who decide to read my book that we had to go through changes and differences and through a, 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 a turbulent times most as a, as, a, as a people most of the time that we exist. So it's not the first time that we feel ourselves uncomfortable. It's not the first time that the technological progress took us 100 years forward and now we have to mentally and uh, to be equipped to deal with that. And it's not the first time that that's how we develop. There is a jump, there is a, there is a new level, and then you have to adjust and grow towards that. So that was the reason. Now, I, I focused uh, in the book on the information and, and communication revolution, which from uh, my perspective started somewhere around 2000. And there are different, people will take it back to the 60s where the computer became uh, popularized. They'll take it to the first laptop and Apple. I think the moment internet left the walls of army and academia and became available as in the way of democratizing knowledge to anyone in the world, that's when the real revolution started. I think it started around 2000. And what we... What, what happened as a result is that if before the information was controlled rather and uh, delivered to general population by certain elite groups which formed an opinion and formed the, the facts and 
fitted it into the society, be it politicians, be it news, newspapers, media, be it the, the secret, uh, the intelligence community, be it uh, anyone, uh, but the former elites, as uh, now we, we don't have any elites anymore. But right now, the, the situation became that anybody can become a voice, anybody can be heard, and as a result, we are all bombarded with an amount of information which, frankly, I think we don't have any skills or tools to, to comprehend and to know what to do with it. And that makes us all very vulnerable. We don't differentiate between facts and emotions. We don't, uh, especially now in coronavirus, you can see it even more so, right? We, I mean, the, the, the hysteria, what are the real facts? Who is saying the, and what we, what we try to find now, if I understand everybody is doing that. We want to have people who rationally can explain what is happening and give us some facts, right? Exactly. And that's really rare. It's really rare. We get emotions, we get all, all sorts of blame games, but we don't get the facts. It's really difficult to find the facts. But why is it important? Why identity is connected to that? You see, on the very personal level, if you know who you are and you have strong roots and you have strong ground to stand on, then you can filter the information that you want to digest, right? So if you are bombarded with all that information, but you know you, you have a sense of self and you know what's important to you, what's not important to you, you will automatically filter. And so you will choose the information that will help you develop and understand. Of course, you can't be ignorant to what's going on in the world, but you will not listen to, you know, all sorts of interesting people which have no, I, I, I mentioned in the book, the flat earth movement, which is growing by the numbers, right? And, and, and it's, it's one of those things where you say, don't confuse me with facts, right? So, but when you know who you are and when you know who, where you come from and where you come from is a very big part of knowing who you are. That's when you can choose how you analyze or filter information. That's where you create a space between, you know, you don't react immediately to the information, but you first understand whether it's an information, whether it's something you need, whether the source is somebody or something you trust. And so I think going through that revolution, apart from the fact that it pushes us all to grow uh, tremendously, and we, it's hard for us sometimes, but also I think it teaches us to how important it is to know who you are and where you come from. I want to talk about the book and young people and, and connected to what you just said. Um, for some of us, you know, we have lived, uh, we did live in the, in the pre-internet era. Um, so we know there are, there are other sources of information. Um, we, we, we had to make our own judgments about identity in, in, in another era. Uh, but young people have grown up only with this, this bombardment uh, of, of inputs, of social media and the internet and everything that, that goes with it. How can your book... Uh, help Jewish youngsters and it's youngsters very, in general. Yes, I hope more than just Jewish youngsters, though I'm, I'll be very happy if it helps Jewish youngsters. Listen, in general, I didn't quite know that my book will speak the language of the youngsters because I frankly didn't know which language it will speak. I just wrote what I felt I have to say. Okay. But then what, what, what happened when we put the book on Amazon was that I started to get a lot of responses and emails from uh, people of the age 16 to 20. And what I found out was very interesting. You see, we talk to youngsters about roots, especially for people who went through some sort of Jewish education. We do that. It's, it's as if I'm saying now, you know, we, they never talk, spoke about roots. We've been talking about roots and about history forever, right? 
What's interesting is I think that we didn't do a good job in connecting it to their own life and to their own experience and to practicalities, how they can um, benefit from that. I'll give you an example. I went in school through the process of, of developing and at the age of 13, of developing my family tree, right? And I did it because the teacher told me so. And I asked my parents and my grandparents about what happened and what are the names of all the Isaacs and Shmuels and which titles, because I was told so. But nobody explained to me that actually this is something that makes me stronger and that's about me. In other words, this was a story about the past, but the connection to the current me, nobody could explain that. And so what I was doing, I was doing very technically, I was doing some, not in history buff, so I was doing something very boring for my, you know, not everybody likes to know which year and which uh, date and which temple or which uh, town, his grand-grand-grandfather, you can fall asleep at the moment you hear that story, right? I mean, it's not for everyone to get excited about it. What I found out with this book, and that's my hope, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to every Jewish organization in the world possible because I, I wrote the book for people to benefit from it. There is nothing else. You know, there is a knowledge that I want to share and, and the ideas that I want to share. What I found out is that I somehow found a way of, of connecting this information about the past to the needs of the young person today. What do I mean by that? Roots is, uh, it's a big word. But if you can explain to a person that understanding who he is, who he or she is, where he comes from, what does it mean for him? is what makes him much stronger now, more res resilient, easier to make decisions, difficult decisions, uh, small decisions and big decisions. But if, what, if that information from the past wasn't about the past, but actually about how he or she make their life more meaningful and make their life more enjoyable, then, you know, it's a whole different game because you don't have to persuade anyone. People love to be able to be stronger, more secure, more resilient, right? It's not about grandparents anymore. It's about them. And so that was amazing that I got a, a lot of responses which said, you know, you've spoken the language. That was the language that I understand. And so for me, it's kind of making uh, Jewish people cool again, in a way. Well, it's, it's certainly, in reading it as an adult, uh, there's a lot of lessons in there, uh, things that, that we haven't thought about. But certainly for young people, there are some really very important guideposts in here about identity. And every young person always searches. Some people never find themselves. And some people um, are, are constantly looking uh, to see what it is that can help them find themselves. And I think that this book really... Um, will be a tremendous contribution to those who are seeking that kind of information. Before we conclude, I, I want to talk about the Museum of the Jewish People. Um, it's it's a really an extremely important institution. Tell us about that. Tell us about what you, you hope to, uh, to bring in kind of a new era of the museum uh, and how it can impact the Jewish people. You understood by now and by reading my book that the, the notion of identity, questions of identity are something that I'm very passionate about. I, I think it's, it's quite clear, right? So it, it, will become no, it will be no surprise to, to you and to your listeners that I'm for last 
12 years, I've been heavily involved in, in uh, together with a big team of people, team partners, supporters of transforming the museum, the uh, diaspora museum, what will used to be called diaspora museum, into what is going to be the biggest Jewish museum in the world. Where, by the way, Corona or not, we're going to open it in October this year. We've been at this $100 million and 15 years project for too long not to open it. And we just hope that cultural institution will be open by then. And the reason it's connected to identity and the reason for me it's all the same book is just another way of, of spreading that information is that identity for me is, has two very important pieces and they're equally important. One is your personal identity and we talked about that uh, I think extensively. But another one is your collective identity, where you belong to. It's not only about the roots, it's about where you belong to now or what you feel part of. And so Jewish people, from my point of view, came to a point where we have to really move from what was uniting us for ages, that is feeling of victimhood, feeling of being victimhood, to what really should unite us, and that's how powerful and strong we are as a people. Now, don't get me wrong, we suffered, we were the biggest victims. If we would compare with other nations, probably we would be the biggest victims. However, our story is not only about victimhood. Our story is also about the success. Our story about being global. Our story is, going, is, is being 15 million people around the world. Our story is we've, we've built a country in 70 years. I don't know any other nation can, that can build a country of that quality with all the critiques that people have. But we have a great country and we have a, a home for all Jews if they choose to. And we have all of that. And so we, we were very successful all the time. We were very, very creative all the time. We, cre we were very innovative all the time. But I think that part is a little bit overlooked because we are used to the narrative of being connected and united around the feeling of victimhood. So all of us in the museum and it's hundreds and hundreds of people, we're building the biggest Jewish museum that will tell the following story. It's great to be Jewish. It's amazing strength to be part of those people. It's a very meaningful experience and very joyful, enjoy, exciting experience to be part of the Jewish people. And it's the story that needs to be told. We can't be focused only on the very difficult times that we went through because it was periods of time, but when thousands and thousands of years, we were also thriving. So what we are doing is we're telling that story. We're focusing on the present, and that's another big change from other institutions. We're not a historical museum anymore. There's going to be a whole floor which talks about what is the Jewish people now. Because we see our job is making sure that everybody is represented. We want people to be united. Our agenda is we want Jews to be united. And for that, you need to know how the others look, where, where you, how you live, because life is very similar and very different at the same time. And so I very much hope that all of you will be able to come and visit the museum since October. We are closed now. We were not closed before. We have a we used to have a great exhibit on Jewish humor, but right now everything needs to be closed according to the rules of the Ministry of Health. But God willing, we are going to open in a couple of months and um, in October we'll open the biggest Jewish museum in the world. Well, you know, the, one of the most vexing questions, perhaps the most vexing question uh, of our time uh, in Jewish life is, is what we call Jewish continuity. Uh, how can we ensure Jewish continuity? When you have 15 million people, it's not a lot of people when you're talking about a world of 7 billion or so people. So how do you continue uh, to, to keep that chain going? And I think that, that what you're doing 
with the museum is a tremendously important contribution to our insurance policy, if you will, uh, for the continuity of, of the Jewish people. So we wish you well with the book and we wish you well with the museum and uh, we wish you um, a safe and healthy journey through the coronavirus and hope that when all of this is over, we'll have a chance uh, perhaps to, uh, to meet again and to, and to talk again. So Irina, thank you uh, for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. The book is The Impact of Identity, The Power of Knowing Who You Are by Irina Nevslin. You can get it on Amazon. Thank you to Irina Nevslin for joining me today and for allowing us mostly to take a break from talking about the coronavirus pandemic. Be sure to wear your masks and wash your hands and uh, be sure to stay grounded uh, while we uh, work our way through this uh, crisis. And be sure to visit our website, benebrit.org, to learn about our work, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to our show on your smartphone on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. And lastly, be sure to tell a friend about us. For my guest, Irina Nevslin, I'm CEO Dan Mariasha. We'll talk to you next time. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>